it's past time to broaden the narrative. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadening the Narrative. This is a podcast where I talk to some of my favorite people who have broadened the narrative for me. I'm your host, Nikki Pappas, and I'm so glad you're here. On today's episode of Broadening the Narrative, I'm joined by my dear friend, Vania Love. We will be discussing early childhood education and her preschool journey, 511 Academy. Before we begin, I just want to say that Vania is one of my favorite people because of the way she sets others at ease in her presence. I met Vania through a mutual friend, and I completely opened up to her without expecting to. So thank you, for Vania, for opening up to me and letting me open up to you. Yes, of course. I'm glad I did, and I'm glad you did. Yes. <laughs> well, let's jump in. Can you tell us a little about yourself and your background? Yes. So a little bit about myself. Um, I like to have fun. I can be pretty free spirited. I can also be a little type A sometimes. Um, I enjoy music. I love to read. Um, I grew up in Germany. I lived there for about nine years before we moved to the state. So that was a big cultural change for me. Um, but I consider it home. So a lot of my my background is is a little different in comparison to what yeah. some may think. Um, but yeah, so I think that's in part why I'm, I can be a little free spirited and open to so many things. Um, and then I love children. I love my babies. And so that has we'll get there. But that has led me to where I am today. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Yes. Well, jumping in here, what's the narrative surrounding education in this country? I think the narrative surrounding education in this country is that there is equal equal quality education for all children in this country. Um, I don't believe that to be true, but I do believe that that is the narrative that is given. Yeah, and how does that being the dominant narrative impact the most vulnerable children? Um, it doesn't take a lot into consideration. So the socioeconomic status of certain children and their families, their family dynamics, is there one parent in the home? Is that parent having to work multiple jobs? All of those things play a part in um, that child's educational experience as well as where is that child um, receiving education? Where is their school located? All of those things play a part. So when taking that into consideration, it's near impossible to actually um, believe that all children are receiving the same quality education. Yeah, so what disparities would you say exist in the current system that need to be addressed? Ooh. I think there are several. Um, there's a lot that I like to see change in our education system in the way that we educate in the way that children are learning. Um, but when we consider that narrative, I think that we often have to consider, like I said, where some students are going to school. And so and, and what, how that funding is being dispersed within those schools. So some students aren't receiving um, 
some of the same books and materials. They aren't receiving the same access to STEM materials and technology. So all of that, I think, needs to be, is something that needs to be looked at and addressed. Um, and I'm gonna go out on this limb here. I might be by myself with this one, but I really think that uh, homework and standardized testing is something that needs to be looked at as well because, I mean, I could probably go into that for, for a while, uh, yeah. but just in, in homework alone, this, this idea that um, once you've done your learning in school, you need to go home and do more, more learning, more practice, and somehow uh, we, have it, we believe that that helps a child retain um, information and retain the things that they're learning, but it doesn't take into consideration, once again, what is the the culture and the dynamics of that family at home do they have someone to help them um with their homework is there somewhere that someone there at night to read to them before bed so all of these things that we are saying lead to a successful education that at some point leads you to being a successful uh person in this country i think you know there there are a lot of uh, disparities there that need to be looked into as well Well, I'm curious, did you always want to be an educator? So in part, yes. So if you were to ask my parents, they, so when I finally did get into education, they were like, oh, that's no surprise. You were always so bossy. You always had to be the teacher and your friends had to be your students. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Not me. <laughs> but <laughs> in so many ways, I'm like, oh yeah, that is, that is kind of true. Um, but no, initially, so when I was younger, I wanted to be a singer. Um, mm. And then, I, like, I love the arts. So I was really wanting to go and do something artistic. And my family, uh, my dad especially, he's like, yes, like, that's a gift. You're good at it. But uh, we need to do something that's going to, you know, make money and help you be successful, right? So I go to college and I'm like, oh, I'm going to major in biology and I'm going to be an orthodontist and I'm solid. Like, this is going to work. This is my life. And freshman year, I was like, I hate biology. <laughs> like, why? <laughs> why did I sign up for this? So I, I changed my major like several times um, before I finally met with one of my counselors and she said, um, we really need to figure this out or, or else you're going to be here a while. So I appreciated the honesty. And she, she actually helped me realize that I had taken so many um, electives in sociology because I just loved it. Like I loved, yeah. I just loved the learning, like the knowledge, the information. And I love uh, getting into social dynamics and culture and religion and family. So it just excited me in a way I did acknowledge that I probably wouldn't be able to do much with it. But at that point, it was just like, let's finish this out. I'm going to enjoy it and go from there. Um, so at the time, I was already working for a company that I had been with for about eight years, um, or actually a little over nine years. And I was in a leadership position. So my plan was to kind of just continue to move up in that company, eventually franchise, um, but after a while, I didn't really feel the same passion that I, I did when I initially started because I was there, you know, when I was younger. And so yeah. 
I felt super passionate then, um, but slowly but surely, I was like, this is not really what I really wanted to do, but I did know that I wanted my own something, that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I wanted to enjoy whatever it was that I was doing. <clears throat> but while I was doing that, I was still always caring for children in some capacity. So helping a friend, babysitting. Um, I did a lot of tutoring, uh, especially in like literacy and helping uh, some of my inner city community friends. And I did a little bit of theater teaching, after school programs. So I was somehow always still connected to education, but for yeah. some reason, it just never went off like, Benia, this is, this is your thing. Um, so it took for me to leave that job move out of Georgia, go to North Carolina, and someone introduced me to early childhood education. And I was like, why didn't I ever think of that? Like, this is something I can teach. You know, I think I was yeah. also a little afraid. Like, I don't know. I didn't go to school for education, so I don't know how to teach all of these big things. Um, so early childhood, I was like, this is something I could do. So I did go back to school just to get early childhood credentials. <clears throat> So I know a little bit of what I was doing and what I was talking about. So that was my transition uh, into early childhood. So not all. So no, I didn't always want to be an educator, but I think somewhere deep down inside, like that was just always in me. Yeah. So what has this journey been like for you then, becoming an educator after it wasn't your plan? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been beautiful because I've always loved working with children um, and I love doing it in this capacity. It feels so important to me. And I think it was, it just, so I've always kind of been in this search for purpose. Like whatever I do, I want to feel like I'm fulfilling a purpose or God's plan, you know, for my life. So in so many ways, this is fulfilling for me, but it's also, I also love to see like the fulfillment it has in the families that I get to be connected to and in their children. So it's been a beautiful journey. I've loved it. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. How did Journey 511 come about? Oh, yeah. So, okay. So after that transition of being introduced into early childhood education, I, I worked in different childcare centers and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. So I was really wanting that education component. Um, so I started applying for and eventually <clears throat> started working for uh, centers that were more preschool based and they had that education component. And but so many of them were in affluent areas and they were predominantly white. So I learned a lot there that was also very eye-opening and shocking to me because I had also had that experience of working with children um, in inner city communities or minority children. And so I was able, I, I had an understanding, at least I thought, of what they should be learning at these early ages. Um, so being in these schools, I'm like, I was blown away. Like, wow, this is the education that like they're, you were expecting this four-year-old to read? Like, really? Um, and you're in all of this is to prepare them for kindergarten. And I was just like, this is, this is crazy. Um, and it was even more crazy to me because I live, so where I live maybe two to three X's down from where I worked, right? So I'm like, on the other side of town, 
um, there are so many who are not receiving this level of education in early years, right? So that kind of already was stirring something up in me where I just felt like I've got to take some of this back. Even if it's not um, executed the exact same way, I at least had an understanding of I have to prepare my black and brown friends um, to to have a strong start in their education. So out of that is is Journey 511. So education and learning is a lifelong journey. And so my goal is to give all of my students, all of my little friends, a strong start in that journey. Um, and then 511, so I, <laughs> might be a little weird for some. So I actually had a dream and the name Journey 511 was in this dream. Um, and I had already kind of been working on names and Marquise had mentioned the name Journey. And I was like, I like that. Um, and then 511 came along and I had no idea what that could mean or stand for. And so I immediately went to scripture and just kind of went through, for some reason I started backwards. Like I started at the end of the Bible and my answer was like in the beginning. So <laughs> I was like, oh great, perfect, all that time. So um, it was Exodus 5.11 and in Exodus 5.11, you have Pharaoh and he's speaking um, to his slaves and he is saying to them, um, pretty much, I don't care what it takes. You go and you find what you need and you produce just as many bricks as you were before. So it sounds like a weird thing to want to incorporate, but it, it hit me in a place because for one, I thought, wow, isn't that life? Like, isn't that the expectation? Um, especially here in America, it's like, I don't care what the, your journey is or how you have to get to or get through what you need to get through. Like, these are the results that I want, right? So I'm like, okay, if this is the expectation, then guess what? I'm going to take that go, that find, and that produce, and I'm going to use it in a way that is edifying and fulfilling um, to these children, and that gives them a strong start. So we're going to give them the environment to go, go around the room, explore, explore outside, explore this world that you live in, find. Let's help you find all of the tools that you need in order to be uh, successful and to feel that you are significant, right? So then we're going to produce. We're going to produce results that also inspire us to do what? To go again and to in inspire others to go again. So we we incorporate go find and produce in our learning and hopefully we're giving them the tools to use it in life as well. And that's something that I, I think makes us unique and special that is that the goal is not just to prepare them for their education journey, but for a life journey, right? We want, we want strong, good, healthy humans out here. And so we have such a special job where we get to be in so many ways, the foundation of that. And so that just it excites me that we get to give them that strong start. So yes, that's where Journey 511 came from. <laughs> yeah, so I knew pieces of that, but to hear kind of all of it together is very fascinating and I think redemptive in a way, like you said, taking the Exodus 511 and then mm -hmm. looking at it differently and making it redemptive for the kids who you are teaching. So I love that story and thanks for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. You're welcome. How would you sort of sum up the vision for Journey 511? Um 
so outside of that, <clears throat> outside of our vision, our vision statement of preparing children to go find and produce, um, I'd say my overall vision would be to really have an impact on our community um, where we start to do things that are even outside of, of the school. Um, and my husband, he has started uh, an organization, you know, Grave Robbers. And it's just so interesting that we were talking. I'm like, in so many ways, it connects, right? So here I am with like, let's give them these tools in, in one way, he's saying the same thing. Like we're out here robbing graves. Like we need, um, we need to help each other get to this place where no one is left with left full. So you're not leaving this earth full of all the things, all the gifts and talents that are in you. Like, so I want to be a part of that in that I'm helping um, our community, you know, use their gifts, their talents, encouraging people to step out um, and, also be active in their community, be entrepreneurs. Like I, I just want Journey 511 to be um, somewhat of a, what's the word I'm looking for? To be like a stepping stone for that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, what would you say sets Journey 511 apart? What says us apart? I think what sets us apart is, 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 is that twofold of we're here as educators and, you know, to help our friends learn. And that's what I call our our little students, they're my friends. Um, So we're here to help our friends learn, but we're also here to give them that strong start in life as well. So I think that's something that's unique to us is that we're not here just to make sure that we've checked off all the boxes of ABCs, um, but, do you know kindness? Have you experienced Mm -hmm. kindness? Can you show kindness? Have you received respect? Do you know what you should expect um, in that? So we, we use that verbiage all day long. Are you being kind to your friend? Oh, are you respecting our classroom? Um, So just giving those little, little tools and then also affirming them in their significance. That's not in my ABC checklist, but guess what? It's important. Like I want them to know that they are significant. They matter. So I think just us wanting to impart that is something that makes us unique as well, as well as our, our curriculum. Um, I think that's also unique. I don't believe that children all learn the same way. So I believe in incorporating um, different approaches within our curriculum. So we have some Montessori, we have some Waldorf, we have, some, we have arts um, that we incorporate as well. So we, our Montessori, it's child directed. So they have that, that opportunity to just explore that space to work in, in peace because we, we need that as well. Um, <laughs> so we call it work in Montessori when they are playing with, with um, a, an item or a toy on the shelf, we call it work. So they're working um, in, in peace and without interruption. So that's, so that's part of the day. And then Waldorf allows for that creativity and using your imagination, which I also think is important. Um, and I do find that a lot of times that's removed. Um, so we're so focused on, you know, 
learn these, learn these numbers, learn this science. And, mm -hmm. and I think it needs to be a little more inclusive of, of things that actually help them to learn and retain in a fun way. Music and arts. Oh, we, we are chanting, we are singing, we are dancing. Where are the puppets? Like, and, and they get excited and yeah. it, it shocks me sometimes. I'm like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe like they remember that. So I think that's something else that makes us unique. It's important to me that children are able to be children. Mm -hmm. So yes, I want them learning. I want them to hopefully um, to gain more skills and strengthen those skills. But I also want them to enjoy being children. Jump in that muddy puddle. Let's get dirty. Miss Vanilla's coming in too. Like <laughs> the, I want them just to have this beautiful experience. So I'm hoping that parents can look back and say like, wow, my, my child was given a really strong start in their education, but they also were able to still be children while doing that. So yes. all of those things I feel make us unique and special. <laughs> yes. I love that. The social emotional growth, not, yes. not letting that suffer when solely focusing on academics, rather bringing in that other component is. Absolutely. Different. Yeah. Well, what does a typical day look like within Journey 511? A typical day for us. Um, so it can vary and I'm okay with that. And I'm actually learning that the children are okay with it too. I, I learned early on that there needs to be a set, very consistent routine. It needs to be the same thing every day so the child knows what to expect. There are some children who do need that. And so if that is the case, then I make sure to um, alter things in that way. But for the most part, they actually enjoy when, you know, we switch it up a little bit. But some of the things are the same. So when they come in, they remove their shoes, they put their things away. We foster independence, so I, I, I'd like for them to do things independently. Uh, they come in, they wash their hands, and then they immediately go straight into their work cycle or exploration cycle. So they're going to the shelves, choosing what they'd like to be engaged with. Do they want to paint? Do they want to build? Um, they're free to make, make that choice um, throughout that time while all of our friends are still coming in. So that's how we start the day. And then we transition into our group learning time and we call it circle time. And as soon as I, I say, all right, friends, you know, let's clean up for circle time. Oh, like they just, <laughs> they yes. get so excited. They love it. <laughs> and so during that time, that's when we, we go into things like the calendar. Uh, we have chants and songs that we go through for our letters and phonetic sounds, number recognition, um, counting, quantifying. So we, we're doing all of these things repeatedly every day. Um, we, we do sight words. We, uh, what else are we doing? Colors. We're, we're spelling our colors and working on recognition. Even my younger friends participate. Um, and it's good because they just get the exposure. And most times they, they like wander off, but we'll start another song and they come back in. Um, and then we'll have uh, we'll do our prayer, our scripture, we'll sing a song. And so we do that every day. And that usually takes us anywhere from about 30 to 45 minutes. It's a really fun time for us. Uh, once again, because it's not just them 
sitting and me teaching and talking at them like they get to participate and we get to have a, a good fun time with it um, and they're learning so uh, after that we will transition to outdoor play and so it's really important to me that the children have outside time so we I try to at least 30 minutes but sometimes most times it's 45 minutes to an hour like just go be free, get out, the, get the energy out, yeah. get messy, whatever you need to do, go explore. Um, I think that's so important. So outdoor time is, is really, really special. To, like it's important to me. Um, and then after that, we'll come back in, we'll have lunch. Um, after lunch, we have our nap time, we have snack when we wake up from nap. And after that, we usually go into like a second lesson where we might work, do uh, lessons on like science and culture and then they kind of transition back into a little work cycle, some more outdoor play, and then it's time to go home and do it all over again. It sounds so fun. Like, I want to be there. <laughs> like, <laughs> you should come. I welcome parents to, well, you know, COVID happened, but yeah. <laughs> usually parents are here. Parents volunteer. Mm. We have a good time. So oh, that's when all awesome. this, when things settle we'd love to have you come yes. visit and help out that'd be great yeah I, I was gonna say like I was a teacher before so I could maybe help, help in some way yes oh we and they love visitors so oh, just be prepared yeah. that if you come once you'll have to come back yes that's so <laughs> that's so fun I was curious you mentioned something about the younger friends so what what are the age ranges for your students Yes. So right now, um, I care and teach children 15 months and walking through five years old. Oh, wow. This year might be a little different um, with everything going on with COVID. So I have some friends who may be staying with me for kindergarten. Um, and then some of my little friends have siblings on the way. So I'm considering um, opening our doors to those infants coming in. Oh, wow. But we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to, I was going to say that I have three small children, ages five, four, mm -hmm. and two and a half. And I remember when yes. I was still helping Joshua, my oldest with his schoolwork at the end of last school year, it was a struggle to keep our youngest mm -hmm. two and a half year old occupied. And so I'd reached out to you and you gave me some great advice. So when, by the time this airs, there will be parents in the middle of probably some distance learning, or I know Rock Hill is starting their virtual academy. So yeah. for those who have small children at home, but are still going to need to be helping their kindergarten first and up, I was wondering if you could give some tips for engaging those younger children when the older children are completing their work or need assistance. Absolutely. Um, so again, de this depends on how young. So I'm answering this question thinking about my youngest age group of friends. So which right now are like two, maybe some that are turning to. Um, so I think routine and expectations are important. So if I think before, so if we know where we're headed into starting the school year with virtual learning and homeschooling with our older with your older children probably go ahead within that weekend or a few days before during that week 
and prepare both children for what they should expect. So kind of start having those conversations already. But sometimes I think we underestimate my younger friends um, mm. and they are absolutely resilient and they're brilliant and they can, they can stick with a routine and a schedule. If you, if you are willing, if you're able to take that time out and consistently uh, like set that for them. So once you've kind of set, this is the expectation, this is what the routine will look like. Some of the things that I think you can incorporate, I love sensory. And so my younger friends love sensory activities and a lot of them can engage with one activity, pouring rice for like mm -hmm. an hour. Yeah. And rice and beans are some of my favorite because even if they're younger, they can eat it and we don't have to worry too much about <laughs> tummy aches or something going wrong. Yeah. I even like um, if you have like a small, um, small like little blow up swimming pool, a parent can get something like that, have it set in maybe your, like your kitchen area and you have your, have the activities set aside for them. So then the rice and the beans, you can put that bowl in that pool, set them in there and let them just go for it for as long as they're um, willing to interact and are entertained by it. Um, and then we can switch it out. Let's take all the beans out, uh, all the rice out, put the beans in. And meanwhile, your older child is doing their work and you're able to also focus on them while this, this child is still, you know, active. Um, yeah, I think anything sensory related, even in those little pools, they have like the markers that you can use that don't necessarily stain your walls and things. You can give them um, activities like that, that they can use again within that pool and, and just be active and, and engaged in that way. So I would say any sensory type of activities uh, would be something to, to consider. Also consider the schedule. So anything that you know that your, your older child absolutely needs your undivided attention on, I'd say maybe if you can, wait to do that until your younger child is napping or asleep. Um, as, much as, as much as you can get done during nap time, I would recommend that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's generally it. Those are some of the things I think that I would uh, incorporate if I, if I needed to do that. And we do have that sometimes where I need to do an activity with our older friends or we, we're, work, we're doing some writing or something and I need the little ones engaged. I immediately go grab a sensory bin and, oh, kinetic sand is a favorite. Like they can do that for, I mean, now you probably want that for maybe two and a half to three-year-old, maybe not your 15-month-old, um, but that's an activity that you could do as well. Any pouring, anything pouring and scooping, go for it. Yes, I love, <laughs> I love the idea of the pool. So I, we have a little pool and I'm definitely going to be using that. So. Yeah, keep all the yeah. mess in one spot. <laughs> yes, that's such a good idea. Well, can you talk about what brings you pride and joy as an educator and the owner of Journey 511? Hmm, what brings me pride and joy? My, I feel pride and joy just from seeing my little friends come in each day um, and that they're happy to be here. They're happy to come in. Enjoy that I was able to build a sense of community amongst this group. So it's not just this dynamic of 
teacher, owner, child, like we, it's so, it's so open. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful community that we we've created here. And I love that so much. And that's something that I'm like wanting to hold on to, uh, even as we're working through this transition, it's so important to me that we continue this aspect of, of community. Um, and of course I feel, you know, pride and joy when they've, grasp understanding and have retained something that we've been working on for some time when they're proud of themselves for going on the potty like all of those little things that's one of the beautiful things working with this age group you really do start to learn to be more grateful and appreciative appreciative for like the smallest things so I find myself and even now that Marquise helps me during the day like even he gets excited yes (laughs) like for the smallest things and it's yeah, so I think my day is is full of like pride and joy. I get to experience it every day in some of the smallest ways. And yeah, my and my pride and joy and journey 511 is just in like I said the community we have and what we're doing um and that it it's it's something special. Yeah, it really is. And you are special and your your passion and even just watching you talk right now just the you just see it on your face. And I know there are some really good things happening there. Thank you. Yeah. Well, have there been any challenges that you've experienced as an educator and as the owner of Journey 511? Challenges. Um, yes, I think in everything there's, there are challenges. Uh, some of the challenges usually come on so one of the biggest challenges is that I'm, I'm in multiple roles, right? So I'm the owner, I'm the operator, I'm the educator, I'm the administrator. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges. Um, and I, I'm, I feel like I'm seeing it and feeling it more as we're trying to make this transition um, in that I have to, I'm here and I'm focused with the children during the day. And then I'm like, oh, but I also need to send these emails and make these phone calls and do all of these things. So yes, balancing all of those roles, I think has been the most challenging thing. Uh, thankfully, I do have my husband here to help me. That's That's yeah. been awesome. And even like I said, when we were able to have parents volunteer, that was helpful. So there has been uh, some help along the way. But yeah, that's still probably one of my biggest challenges. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it makes sense that you'd be juggling all those, but I had not thought about how you're doing so many things to keep everything afloat. And yeah, that's, yeah, you are impressive. I try. (laughs) Well, well, um, you posted something recently from Miss Golding and her handle is at Golding Girl 617. And she had said, there are black men and women in Zoom meetings, maintaining professionalism, biting their tongues, holding back tears and swallowing rage while we endure attacks from pandemic and police. Understand this and be mindful. And your response to that was, black people have been biting their tongue and smiling off your racism for too many years in the name of professionalism. I've been doing it since I was 14 up until just one year ago when I started working for myself. So over 15 years, it's suffocating. I am done. So would you be willing to talk about that post? Yeah. Um, so I, when I wrote that, I really did feel done. I was just kind of 
over it and just feeling um, so many different emotions with everything that's going on right now. So the name of professionalism. So I would have to like go back a little bit. So I recently just had, so let me start here. The name of professionalism, when, when I say that, and when the, the person who um, made the post, most times black people who are working in predominantly white spaces often have to do things or not do things in the name of professionalism. So there is a lack of freedom to express uh, your, your feelings. You have to filter things. You have to be very mindful of everything that you do and that you say all in the name of, I have to be professional. This is what, this is, this defines professionalism. Um, and so I had in that moment realized that there was so much in me that hadn't been said and it hadn't been said because I wasn't, I didn't feel that I had the space or the freedom to say it because I knew it would cost me something if I did. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't figure out why um, now after all this time, like I was just wanting to express myself and, and voice an opinion. And until it, it, it dawned on me like, oh, it's because now I, I do have the freedom to do that because anything that I do or say at this point um, affects me directly and my business directly. Um, and I'm okay with that if it's me being authentic to myself. So being in someone else's space where it's their vision, it's their dream, you're having to be you know, mindful in, in that way. Um, so what that looks like is having to bite your tongue when someone makes a comment about your hair, comparing it to some wild animal. Or today I look professional because I blow dried and I straightened my hair. So today is the day that I look professional. Um, or having to code switch because speaking in a more articulate way suggests that I am educated and that I am qualified to be here, right? So doing all of these things because you, you've been taught and you've learned that this is what it means to be professional. So all of this time, I hadn't I've been code switching for so much of my life that we were talking about this not too long ago. I've, I'm 32 years old and I'm like, what is, what is my voice sound like? Like, who, who am I? Because I've always been in these spaces and I learned this from my parents and I hadn't, re again, hadn't realized this until recently. I grew up watching my dad code switch all the time. Uh, my mother is from Trinidad, so she she would naturally have a Trini accent, but worked very hard to make sure that her accent was very American. So I, but in her safe, comfortable spaces, you know, she can turn it on, she can turn it off. And so I'm like, oh, I, I grew up um, with this being the experience, like learning that this is how you operate and that and you function. Um, in America, in the corporate world, in white spaces. So I just, so things like just been doing it for so long um, that it's just, I've been doing a lot of deconstructing and unlearning when it comes to that and what it means to be professional. You know, I, you, I have to dress and look a certain way. My, my hair needs to be a certain color and a certain style so that 
um, I'm not perceived as ghetto or hood or, you know, all of that foolishness. So I just had a moment where I realized like, oh my God, like I have been doing everything based on what is deemed acceptable to these group of white people who hold my paycheck in their hand. And you get so comfortable doing it. It's like, oh yeah, like it makes sense to do that. It's, It's professional. And you get so comfortable doing it to the point that you judge other people um, who look like you, who may not, who don't do that at all. <laughs> and you're like, don't you know, like, don't you know that you're supposed to come in and look this way and sound this way? And don't you know that you're not supposed to respond when someone makes an, an offhanded racist remark? Um, don't you know? And so it, it's just, I don't know. I think I, in that moment, I was, I was what I said, I, I was done. Um, and I feel so much freedom, like a freedom that I've never experienced before. And it is because that I, I actually have, I have my space, right? It's, it's my space. I get to decide what's professional. Um, I get to decide how I'm going to sound when I'm doing business, right? And I'm, and that means I'm going to sound like me. Vinnie is going to be Vinnie. I'm going to be my unapologetic black self. <laughs> um, so that has been super freeing. But yes, that's what that's what I meant by in the name of professionalism. Like there's just so much that, you know, is is restrictive and it's all, you know, covered up in, well, that's professional. Like this is what it means to be professional. This is what you have to do. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to see the connection between education system and then like careers and what when we were talking the other night you were talking about what would be in certain handbooks for a school and how you're not going to put those things in your handbooks right but how when those things are in the school and then they're filtering as those kids grow up who have been under the under that system and hearing certain things labeled in certain ways, then they grow up and then it gets called professionalism when you're Mm -hmm. older. And so I just think it's interesting how those tie into each other because it makes me think about like the next question I wanted to ask you was suggestions for addressing disparities in the current educational system so that kids can grow up to not have to encounter professionalism, quote unquote, in the workplace, having to be professional. Right. Right. Um, yes. I mean, we've, we've seen so many cases even now where there are like restrictions still to this day on like hairstyles and even that is, is being incorporated in the school, which was in part, I don't know why, I guess because when I went to high school, it was, it was all, it was an all black school. Um, so I didn't think anything about you know, hairstyles at the time, I only thought of it in the workplace. So to think that you're being conditioned, not only in the workplace, but also in the, in the education system, that this is what, this is what professional looks like. This is what good is. This is what, you know, like the conditioning, it starts so early. Um, And in so many, we've, we've got a lot of work to do, a lot of work to do. Um, And I think that, again, even with 
with the platform that I have with early childhood education and the students that I have and the families that are here, um, I think some of the, the unlearning and learning in those areas are already taking place. And I think if we, we just all need to, to do our part and start challenging some things. Ask, ask more questions. Why is that? Why do you deem this as professional? What, what makes, why is this the standard? So we really need to, to start challenging some, some of those things. Yeah. What is your hope for other people who you're having conversations with as you broaden the narrative around education through Journey 511 and the work you do? Um, what is my hope for them? My hope for my, I think my hope might be split in two parts because I would have to be taught. My hope would vary depending on the groups of people that I'm speaking to. Um, in this moment, I'll speak to, to those who, who I feel have uh, a good bit of work to do in making sure that changes happen. And so my hope for them would be that they would be uh, a part of the solution, that they would start to, to challenge some things in our education system. What would that look like if parents were to flood the superintendent's offices and send these emails saying, hey, why is my child learning this in history and not mm. learning this? If, what would that look like? Um, if we could collectively get on the same page that the way we're teaching some things here need to, to change, you know? Um, so my hope would be that we could, we could get more on the same page about some of these things and that people could, uh, be intentional about the way, about, um, about the way things need to happen going forward. That would be my hope. My hope for my community is that we just keep going the way that we are in a very productive way and in that because in the, in in so much of what we're doing we do have the upcoming generation in mind right and so that i want i my hope is that that will continue to be the focus that we can continue to make good choices um and make some true changes for them yeah. Well, what can privileged people commit to in order to bring your hope to fruition? Um, yeah, so one of those things would be, um, as I had mentioned before, them challenging things within their own school systems. Yeah. Um, it was even on social media, it was so interesting to see how many um, people were like, oh, I had I asked my child, had they ever learned anything about Juneteenth? And they had never learned anything about it. Um, there's so many different aspects of our history that these children are not learning. Um, but parents, um, privileged and, and white families, are, are aware that their children aren't learning it. So now that you know, how do we change that? Um, so I think my hope for them would be, again, that they would be willing to do the work. Um, and to financially support where it's necessary to do so. So even, you know, some, some get very comfortable in, 
in uh, uh, some of these schools, like the inner city schools, where it's like, oh, well, they receive funding, they receive all of these things. If, if we were so confident, right, that we're all, that all of the children are receiving the same quality education, send your child there. Send your child there and then tell me that it's all the same, right? Um, and if you can't do that, you're not willing to do that, then you really need to examine yourself and see why and then see how you can be a solution to that problem. So yes, my hope would be that there would be more action, less, less, um, less excuses uh, and just more action. Let's just get it done. Um, so I saw that you got all the funding that you needed for the fundraiser that you did, but are there other ways that people can still be supporting? Can they still get donate money? Yes, um, they can. They can still donate money to our Plum Fund. Um, we have increased the amount because we are still in need of support. Um, so yes, they can still donate there. If anyone wants to donate books and materials, we're also welcoming that. Um, we So if you all don't know, I currently operate the school in my home, and so we are transitioning to a small commercial space that still feels like that will still feel like home uh, for our families but it will allow for more students so we need uh, more support in just getting some things in order for that transition yeah what's the site that people can go to to donate um so it's plumfund.com let me make sure that i have the, the right address is that okay nikki can i pull yeah. that up yeah, and I can also put it in the show notes too. That would be great. Yes, because yeah. I know there's um there's like a uh, something in addition to what I was I think it's plumfund.com/journey511, but I wanted I wanted to double check that. So it is plumfund.com/community-crowdfunding slash journey slash I'm sorry join j511 okay so I can send that to you yeah if, if that makes great. it easier okay yeah I can definitely drop it into the show notes so that people that can support great. awesome yes I would love that we would all we would appreciate all the love and support we can get yes well, thank you Vania for sharing your time this evening and for sharing you your expertise welcome. Um, I just want to say I truly value your voice and your vision that you have, and I'm thankful for you and Marquise and excited for this next step for Journey 511. Thank you, Nikki. We love you so much. I want to thank Sequina Murray for the voice clip she sent to me for the episode intro. You can purchase her music on Bandcamp at bandy17.bandcamp.com. Her music is available on most streaming services under the name Bandy. I also want to thank Jordan Lukens for his help with editing and Daniel Bolin for creating the episode graphic. Please subscribe and review the show, but only if you're planning on leaving a five-star review. Otherwise, you can just skip this part. You can access the Broadening the Narrative blog by visiting broadeningthenarrative.blogspot.com and you can find the Broadening the Narrative page on Instagram by searching for at broadeningthenarrative and on Twitter by searching for at broadnarrative. 
I hope that if you know and love me, you can engage with the Broadening the Narrative blog, social media accounts, and podcast, as well as any recommended resources. Then you can share with people who know and love you. And little by little, person by person, we can broaden the narrative. Grace and peace, friends.